Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash spookshow. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. again to the all-american spook show podcast as always i'm josh and i am joined here with my friends will <laughs> and the professor smoke What's up, ho-ho-hos? <laughs> oh wait this is a christmas show right? uh yeah yep yep you're still good oh, okay um <laughs> yeah we're kind of coming to you with our second uh christmas edition since you know it's kind of a long season and uh everybody kind of you know christmas has become like a month-long celebration hell for some people it's uh, pretty much as soon as halloween is over um, so it's about a two-month celebration for some people, but so we're kind of uh, g- we're going to do another Christmas episode, basically, since our last show was Rare Exports. So today we're going to be talking about the 1974 classic Black Christmas, the original, not to be confused with uh, well, there was a remake in 06, right? Yep, 2006. And, yeah, and then the current one that is uh, out here in the holiday season. So uh, we're going all the way back to the original material for, uh, from 1974. If you want to contact the show, you can email us at allamericanspookshow at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at AA Spook Show. Uh, we're on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. You can find us by searching for All American Spook Show. And you can also go to tpublic.com and search for All American Spook Show, and, you, and you'll see that we uh, sell logoed merchandise there, T-shirts, mugs pillows whatever else they can slap the logo on you can find that there so i guess you know but since we uh did the last uh, episode of rare exports what have you guys been up to in the in the meantime here catching up not a whole heck of a lot uh i've uh, been re-watching some of the star wars you know leading up to the last one coming out but mm-hmm. that's about it smoke what about you anything anything new since the last anything in theaters anything uh vhs whatever uh, let's see since actually we start we started going at my uh Wife had never had really. Well, I might have seen some random episode here or there, or whatever. But never really watched The Office. Okay. So we're yeah. like binging. <laughs> I think we made it through season two now in the last week or so, or two week and a half, something like that. That was fun. I was going back to, as you know, as listeners don't necessarily know this, not all of them, or whatever. But working at NBC when we all when all three of us were working at NBC, and I was in mass control. I think The Office was airing mm-hmm, when yeah. it was new at that time, from, from 2005 to whatever it was. I think when I left there, it was 2000. Not in tail into 2009. Mm-hmm. So I remember seeing all those seasons I saw. So, but anything after that, I never really, you know, got around to watch it except some random ones. So at some point, it'll be new to me too once I get the season. I don't know. Yeah, I think four I was, or five. I think I was the same way. Like you know, obviously I still work in uh you know for NBC affiliate, but um mm-hmm. I think I've watched pretty much. I mean, there might be a handful of episodes I didn't see, but pretty much all of them probably while I was there at work. You know, as they were airing. 
yeah, yeah. You know, from pretty much yeah, that, from beginning well, from to that end. 2005 to nine, anyways. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that's definitely there's a handful of shows, and that's one of them where like you know you could watch it multiple times. You know, like oh, you, could, yeah. you know even yeah. if you're just flipping on the regular old TV like antenna or something like that. You know, and Andy Griffith's on, you can watch that or Mash or uh, oh yeah, you know any of the old standards. Uh, Seinfeld. I mean, I can watch that just about. Any, oh, Seinfeld's on. You know, True, even if yeah. I if I just want to. <laughs> If I just want to brain out, you know, not do anything and just, you know, or veg out and just sit there and watch something, that's one of the staples, you know. And I think Office is one of them too. Yeah, it definitely I, is because I mean, some of these episodes I hadn't seen since that first time I saw it when it aired, and then it, you know, it's, it instantly comes right back. <laughs> that, but Office is the, Office is a little bit different from some of those other shows I mentioned in that there is like kind of a there is a story thread going on at least, you know, like yeah. yeah. Gilligan's Island, you know what, you know, there, there's no uh, continuation. There's no, <laughs> you know, show to yeah, show. we're trying to get off this island, and they yeah. almost make it, and they never do. You know, yeah, that, exactly. That's, not the that's every episode, runs. yeah. There's no there's no overarching story arc or whatever, you know, in those. Yeah. So Office is a little different, you know, in that regard, but it's still one of those, you know, I think modern-day classics for sure that everyone, it's very rare you hear anyone, man, I hated The Office, you know. <laughs> <laughs> true, yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, true. I haven't heard anybody. I'm Although sure. I, you remember when it first came out, people were of course comparing it to the British one, which I still haven't ever seen the British one. Mm-hmm. At that time, I think was some you know people were like down on it because oh it's just you know ripping off this British one. The British one was a lot better. Well, you know as time has gone, I think it's yeah. Then it kind of became its own thing. Yeah, it's yeah. almost like I mean there, I'm sure there's always there's always somebody that hates it, right? Like there 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 are <laughs> oh, people yeah. every now and then you run into that hate the Beatles. You know like the hell <laughs> yeah. what's wrong with you? You know <laughs> you just want to be that you guy. Got, <laughs> yeah, you got to yeah yeah. Everybody, you know, there's people loving it. Oh, I got to be the hater, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know a couple of people like that. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I, myself, uh, I can't remember whether I've watched anything really like groundbreaking. I mean, I've just been catching up on some shows, and we've been watching some Christmas shows and movies and stuff, you know, here in the holidays. So myself, that's pr- pretty much what I've been doing, other than you know what we're watching for the uh, podcast here. I don't know how y'all are as far as uh, the Sandman. You're the comic, the Sandman, the Neil mm-hmm. Gaiman comic. Uh huh. From DC Vertigo back in what eighty nine to yeah I, I know about 80. it but I've I never really got to read it you know I've never gone back to read that one but uh, uh, I, I know yeah about that's it. it's probably my I mean if I had to pick one you know comic that's like my favorite arcs and everything it'd probably be the Sandman but it's going into pre production for Netflix now oh cool yeah that's I saw, something I'm definitely looking forward to I saw something like there's another comic property that I think was going to be on Netflix Lock and Key that I know a lot of people. Oh yeah, yeah. Enjoy, yeah, I think I've heard that, that one's one, coming. Yeah, it, yeah. yeah, same here. But um, what that reminded me though, when you say that one, I have been watching that. I started, I watched the first episode, and I'm about halfway through the second episode. Was the new HBO series Watchmen? Oh yes. Um, how that, how was that one? Now uh, the, the only thing I'll say, you know, just for anybody, once again, you know, before I get into it, we are a spoiler podcast, so we, you know, once we talk, start talking about the movie, we'll spoil it. And every once in a while, we'll talk about these different shows and other movies and stuff. We might spoil something, so. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll say that before I say this. Um, so, you know, just fast forward or pause it, you know, and come back later, you know, if you don't want to hear, I'm not giving anything major away, but this series takes place like current day. So it's like 2019, but it's in that, but it's in that Watchmen world. Now, if you recall the Watchmen comic or the movie, if you saw, only saw the movie, whatever, but if you haven't, you need to go read the comic and the comic, remember it's like 1985. Mm -hmm. So this is. 30 what 35 years later from the events of that comic is what so the, does it is what the show <laughs> not is. To, not to turn this into this podcast into like we yeah, yeah. <laughs> like we sometimes do into the uh you know star wars slash comic book slash whatever but yeah. but 
I'll stop at this, but is is it uh, supposed? Is a reference to the fact that things events happened in the eighties, or no? Or is it just yes. set it right here in twenty nineteen, and that's it? Yes and no. Like yes, it does reference, and things are going on that you you know, mm-hmm. if you're keeping your eye on things and noticing things, it's not it's not ignoring it for sure. So like, uh, it's that same world just thirty five years later. So things are different now. Okay. But those things happened, you know. So just keep that in mind. You know that that might kind of help you get in the right frame of mind once you finally sit down and watch it. Um, I won't okay. say anything else, but uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's really well done so far. I mean, like I said, I've barely scratched the surface. I've only watched like, you know, first episode and a half or so. So yeah. I haven't heard anything but good things about it from other people that have watched it either. So yeah, so far I, I definitely recommend it. I mean, if you're a fan of Watchmen on any level, I think you'll enjoy this. So go check it out. So I guess uh, you know, if, unless you guys have anything else to say, I guess we can uh, go ahead and toss to the trailer for 1974's Black Christmas. girl's been murdered. Mr. Harrison's daughter is missing. And now at the house where she lives, the other girls are getting obscene phone calls. Yeah, what I've done is I've tapped this phone so that when it rings, it'll ring at the station house, too. There was a little girl murdered over in the park tonight. Yes, I heard. Your phone's ringing. Terminal 55. 
Remember those idyllic scenes out of your childhood? Crisp winter nights, star bright, sleigh bells, crackling yule logs, candlelight glistening off of shimmering Christmas trees, chestnuts roasting over open fires, carolers beneath snow-covered window ledges. Remember those. Remember them well. After Black Christmas, they'll never be the same again. Black Christmas, starring Olivia Hussey, Keir Dulay, Margot Kidder, and starring John Saxon as Lieutenant Fuller. If this movie doesn't make your skin crawl, it's on too tight. And there's the trailer for Black Christmas. Will, I assume that this is, uh, this is the first time you've ever seen this, right? Yes, sir. So before I guess we get into the background or whatever, what were your initial reactions? I thought it was I thought it was good. Uh, obviously, you know this came way before a lot of the movies that took a lot of things from this movie. Having seen you know like you know like Scream and stuff like that, which definitely like took like a lot from it. It felt like I'd already seen all of this before. But overall, I thought it was pretty good. Smoke. Obviously, this is not the first time you've seen this movie. But uh, I guess take us, you know, take us back to when, you know, your initial reactions and what you thought about it. Uh, I, guess I saw it probably back in, it was in the 80s. You know. I'd already seen Silent Night, Deadly Night, just to put it in perspective of era. And, you know, so I didn't see this when it was fresh, of course, and, or not even when the slasher genre was necessarily fresh. So probably early 80s or so, but still it was, it was early enough on that it, it was, it still seemed fresh to me at that time, you know. Uh, and I could see where a lot of the, even though it, even though it was fresh, you could still see where some of the slasher convention would pull from this movie, even though so, even some of those later '80s ones, you know, I mean, this movie was what 1974, and it set a lot of, lot of those stereotypes and, that, and things of slasher conventions were set in this movie. Thoroughly enjoyed it the first time I saw it, and I've seen it quite a few times since then. So, still enjoy it, still love it. This is not the first time. I watched it, but it might as well be because, like, I, I know I've seen this before, but it, it's a it's been a really long time. Like, it, it's well over twenty five, you know, give or take twenty twenty five years ago. It's been a long time, so certain parts of it I kind of forgot, but some of it was familiar enough to where I kind of remember watching it. So, um, that being said, I, you know, yeah, you can definitely see, you know, kind of like what you guys said, you can see the uh, this is kind of where some of the other outlines and ideas for other movies came from. You, you can see where like. Someone that wrote and directed other movies definitely sat down and watched this or and or loved it, you know, for sure. Without giving too much away, I, you know, I enjoyed it. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll we'll get into what we, you know, really loved and really hated or disliked or whatever later on. Um, all right, so this movie was released December 20th, 1974 um, here in the U.S. Now, I saw something where, like, I think it, it had actually been released in Canada or somewhere, maybe like in October of 74, but they they kind of saved it. Yeah, I think it was in Canada. It was released in October of '74. But then, like, they kind of saved it for the U.S. for Christmas time. You know, Warner Brothers got a hold of it and held on to it. Um, it was uh, made by Ambassador Film Distributors in Canada, and it was distributed by Warner Brothers here in the U.S. One little thing I found said for the American release, Warner Brothers initially changed the title of the movie to Silent Night, Evil Night, because um, they worried that the uh, that title would maybe mislead people into believing that the movie was actually a black exploitation movie because it was called <laughs> because it's called Black Christmas. Maybe some people will think, you know, it's a black exploitation movie. <clears throat> so they actually originally released it, I guess, in you know, in some places as Silent Night, Evil Night. 
and then they uh, took back the title after it initially came out and restored it to Black Christmas, you know, for forevermore after that. So I thought that was kind of an interesting tidbit about the movie, the name of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> oh, because, it, yeah, if they had waited a little bit longer and kept it as that name, then, then it would have been confused with the other one I mentioned, Silent Night, Deadly Night. <laughs> yeah, from the 80s, yeah. If they had kept the Silent Night, even like title. The total runtime for this movie is one hour and 38 minutes. I thought, this is my opinion, I thought it dragged in a couple of spots, but I think by and large, you know, it keeps you it keeps you captive enough to where it's a pretty quick uh, 98 minutes. Um, yeah, I think I think it, it does. I think the only thing, oh, the dragging part is for me is not too bad. It's just uh, I think it's maybe a thing of the era, you know. We're talking about still early to mid-'70s. Yeah. So uh, I know pacing at the time for certain movies. And it, it even wasn't even trying to be a hardcore horror movie at the time. It was like a... You know, thriller with those horror overtones in it. And I think it, it moves along. I get, I think, well enough for me to, you know, you can't, you can't compare it to modern movies or whatever as yeah. far as the pacing. But, but yeah, I think it, I think it pushed the story along well. Michael Bay wasn't around to blow shit up and make it really <laughs> yeah. fast yet. So, yeah. <laughs> um, this movie. And I can't speak for the remake yet, or you know, or the upcoming remake either, because I haven't seen either of those. So. <laughs> I, I if, without and just know, after watching this movie and knowing how you know today's society quote unquote is about things like this, I bet you anything this new one's like a chick revenge movie. You know, like something bad <laughs> happens well, and then all the chicks... I know for one thing it's PG thirteen and I'm not really down with that. But <laughs> well, I mean, you can get around that in in, in today's modern day. You know, like a PG thirteen is a uh, might have been considered rated R back in the day in some regards. You know. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Definitely. In the, if we're talking about the early '90s, I just anyway, think much... I just think they'll probably change the story and the tone of the movie to be more like, you know, here's some badass college chicks, you know, ready to mess this dude up who's messing with them, kind of thing. You know, I think mm. they'll turn it more into something closer to uh, "I Spit on Your Grave" than this original. You know, <laughs> that's just my opinion, yeah. and I'm, I may be wrong, and I'll be the first to admit it once we see it and you know talk about it. But I bet you, I bet you five bucks. It's got. It's gonna have some type of tone change to it. You watch. Oh yeah, no, I definitely wouldn't take that bet because yeah. I, <laughs> I agree with it. <laughs> um, it was obviously this movie's rated R, um, and it was shot in uh, Toronto, Canada, in the winter of 1973 to 74. So, you know, a little less than a year before it was released. The budget for the movie was six hundred and twenty thousand um, dollars. From what I could tell, it grossed about four million. So this wasn't a huge success. I mean. I, uh, by any stretch, I would you know I would imagine it's probably had a longer shelf life on uh, rentals, you know, and uh, and and for its place in uh, horror history, so to speak, in the years since. But uh, I don't think it was received, you know, enormously or uh, you know huge critical success or anything like that. But it, you know, it just kind of was what it was. So this movie on IMDb, it got 7.2 stars out of 10. And the uh, meta score was 65 with nine critic reviews. So critically, that's pretty good. And obviously, it looks like the fans have enjoyed it. All right, so over on RottenTomatoes.com, it got a 69% on the, on the tomato meter. Um, and that's 32 uh, reviews. And it got an cool. audience okay. audience score of 75%. And that's almost 23,000 user ratings. So <laughs> I think, you know, from uh, you know the usual aggregates there, Rotten Tomatoes and IMDb, it, um, it gets a pretty good grade, um, for sure. So it was directed and produced by Bob Clark, um, who actually passed away in April of 2007, so he's no longer here with us. Smoke, were you able to find out anything about uh, the director here, Bob Clark? Yeah, Bob, Bob Clark's been a name that's kind of 
I've been following since, I guess, I probably saw some other Bob Clark movies before this one, which would have been, uh, well, I mean, if we're talking about his non-horror movies, <laughs> I was a good time to mention that this is the same director of A Christmas Story. You know, you should try a kid, Christmas Story, the classic <laughs> 1983 film. So I'd probably seen that one, I'm sure, first, before I'd seen this one. Uh, as a kid, you know, on TV. Yeah, and yeah, I'm sure. Especially and, back uh, when we were all younger, like, they showed A Christmas Story 24-7 yeah. on, like, every oh, channel. Yeah. Yep, definitely. And then, of course, when I was a preteen, you know, Porky's. Porky's 2, The, the Revenge, I think it was, right? He directed those two movies. Yep. <laughs> so I remember trying to watch those on whatever age. You know, when you're, you know, 10, 11 years old, you're not supposed to be watching Porky. Yeah. <laughs> peeking through the fingers. Hey, there's Porky. You know, just watch it. You definitely shouldn't <laughs> be watching Porky's if you're 10 or 11 years old. <laughs> but I'm sure we all did. That's but... what's wrong with me, I guess. Yeah, well, but anyways. all of us. A whole generation. <laughs> yeah, so, it was a different generation, well, I mean, now, God, who knows? You can just get anything. All you got to do is go on to whatever. Oh, yeah, internet well, and get yeah, what you yeah, want. True. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, so Porky's and Porky's. I don't know that I'd seen them before I'd seen any of his other horror movies, but I didn't know who Bob Clark from anybody through those movies. But when I got into horror, uh, I think it was uh, Death Dream. It was a movie he made in, get what years, in the 70s. It was after this one, mm-hmm. pretty sure. But uh, that was great. Another underrated uh, horror movie. Tom Savini did the effects for it. Yeah, that would probably have been the first Bob Clark movie I'd seen. Then I think I'd seen Black Christmas as the next one. You know, just looking down and, through his list, I saw another uh, little gem of his from the early 80s, the, the uh, Sylvester Stallone, Dolly Parton movie, Rhinestone. <laughs> Rhinestone, yeah. Good God Almighty. <laughs> he had a run, and uh, then and then I think that ended it. <laughs> yeah, he, I mean... <laughs> Let's not, let's not forget too that he, he directed his masterpiece. I think it was uh, had to be Baby Geniuses, right? Yeah, of course. <laughs> I think that might have almost literally finished him right there. Like, all right, that's you've been given you've been given plenty of strikes yes. here, Bob. That's right. But just when you think that he couldn't get any lamer, then he comes out with Super Babies, Baby Geniuses too. Right? <laughs> <laughs> he he couldn't uh, quit milking that uh, cash cow, could he? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but yes, before all that, though, at least he did put out a good handful of, uh, uh, like I mentioned, Death Dream. Uh, he also had a hand in Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things. Mm-hmm. That was a fun little 70s zombie movie. Uh, it was Alan Ormsby was another guy that he was kind of partners with. That they used to write and direct, produce a lot of these movies. Or not a lot, but at least a handful of them. Mm-hmm. Those two. And then also there was, a, was, it, there was another one slipping my mind now. But there was another uh, horror movie they did about that time. It was about four or five of them that they did that were... I think it's still kind of underrated to some degree. Uh, oh, Deranged, uh, the Confessions of a Necrophile, which was a movie, early movie about Ed Gein. Mm-hmm. It was the murderer that uh, Leatherface from Texas Chainsaw Massacre is kind of based on. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, Psycho, Norma Bates and Psycho, the whole mother fixation based on Ed Gein, too. But uh, this movie, Deranged, was really, really good for 70s, low budget, you know, horror flick. So his and, his fingerprints are all over uh, horror and uh, uh, some mainstream as well. Yep. This movie was written by Roy Moore, which I, I think for the most part, this is just about the only thing. I mean, he's written some other stuff, but not much. About pretty much the only major thing anyone ever would have heard of, really. And it was inspired by the uh, urban legend of, you know, like the, the story of the babysitter and the man upstairs. Like there's somebody in the house, you know, or, or the call is <laughs> coming from inside the house. It's based on that. And apparently there were a series of murders, or like stabbing murders, took place near uh, Montreal, Canada. Um, at, I guess back before this was, you know, like back in the 60s or something like that. 
So it was kind of, but I guess he kind of, mer- you know, merged those two together and uh, came up with this concept. Uh, and he actually wrote it under the title, once again, another title for this. It was actually written under the title Stop Me. And then apparently, I guess, whenever they finally decided to make it and uh, Bob Clark got involved, that's when they they basically kind of changed the, uh, they shifted the focus of the movie to what you saw here in this movie, with, you know, with the, the, uh, the college kids and everything like that. And I think that I saw, I saw something, too, where they actually took some of the slasher aspect a little out of it, I guess, from the original concept. I guess it was going to be a little bit more murdery. I don't know <laughs> how, how you want to put it. Uh, but I guess he kind of, you know, played that down a little bit once he got a hold of it. Yeah. I think I saw, uh, I read something saying that, uh, that when they, when they took out some of the, um, more murder scenes, uh, they added in what they felt was a little bit more adult conversation. Mm-hmm. And, uh, apparently one of those things was the, uh, turtle sex conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, I remember there being something I read about, like, the drinking, too. You know, they were trying to make it more, because I guess at the time, a lot of uh, college kids' movies were all about, like, you know, the the stereotypes of, like, uh, you know. Animal House. Yeah, Animal House type (laughs) stuff. uh, But but not even even the drinking stuff too much. Like, you know, at that point, it was like, uh, I think they even compared it to, like, the old, uh, the Frankie and Annette, wasn't that Frankie and Annette movies, where it's like, you know, they all just, they grab a blanket and go out to the beach and, you know. They start checking, oh, yeah. and you know, and then they get stopped right before you know. Like I think they didn't want to play on that view of uh, you know that age. You know, they wanted to let's be real. Like they go and they do drugs, they they drink, you know, they have sex and stuff like that. So let's let's go the extra mile in that direction, you know, to make it more realistic. Yeah, yeah considering this thing was shot like in '74, it definitely gives the feel of like an '80s movie. And I mean, I don't mean that in a bad way. Like it doesn't feel like it's of that time. Yeah. Well, you just mean like in the realistic, like we just pointed out, like the fact that it's college girls, but they're still they still talk nasty, they cuss, they drink, right? That, right yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. And then there's the flip side of it, where like they also wanted to add a little bit more com- uh, comedic levity to it, so that's why they threw in uh, the lady that plays Mrs. Mack, you know, where she kind of like clown shoes, <laughs> you know, she's kind of clowny, like always hiding a bottle of liquor somewhere. <laughs> You know, like, I guess it's just... Our dialogue, like, when the dad comes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, they they kind of added yeah. those parts in. So, like, I'd like to see what the original version of this movie was going to be, you know, before they kind of, oh, yeah. you know, change... It sounds like they changed a good bit of, you know, of it, or at least the the, the undertone structure <laughs> of it, you know, is the final product you saw. I'd like to see what it would have looked like before that. And also, there then there's that side of, like, how this movie influenced other people. Like, I've heard that... uh uh, John Carpenter said this was a huge influence on Halloween. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I definitely think it's falls in that. Uh, I mean, I don't know. You know, you split hairs and all that stuff. As far as it, is it a slasher? Or is it, I mean, it's proto slasher. That's like the term has kind of been thrown around for it. Where it's, you know, it's it's got the convention in there that the slasher genre would take on without mm-hmm. being a full fledged slasher movie yet. But yeah, you can definitely see those those oh, influences yeah. that it spread out yeah and, and like i think so, a lot of people like you know i guess film historians horror historians however you want to put it they kind of uh credit this one as being one of if not the first or at least one of the earliest examples of a slasher film right mm-hmm. like yeah. so, this may not be the main one you know it's almost i guess it's almost like you know maybe not night of the living dead is kind of the one that changed the zombie genre so to speak mm-hmm. i think they kind of point to this as being the one that maybe not necessarily changing anything but it molded what came after because you can see all these influences 
later on down the line. So I guess this one's kind of pegged as yep. one of the ones, you know, put a pin in it as this is one of the, the godfathers, so to speak, of the slasher uh, subgenre of horror. Not only that, too, but then it's also uh, like a linchpin for the whole holiday horror theme you know, that, I mean, a lot of people point to, you know, Halloween, you know, they think Halloween is the first, but it's not, it wasn't, it was, and this one's not even necessarily the first, you know, Christmas-themed horror movie, mm-hmm. but it's definitely the first, I guess, Christmas-themed, if you're talking about the slasher-type horror films, uh, mm-hmm. sort of. Uh, nobody really launched it, like, you know, latched onto that and started releasing holiday movies. I think the next one would have been Halloween, and then, but then after that, of course, and Friday the 13th, and Happy birthday to me and every any anything that you could you know attach a holiday or a day of significance to. Yeah, <laughs> but came after Halloween pretty much. Happy nobody President's really jumped on day. that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm sure even if it's not a major release, I'm pretty sure there's probably at least one movie for every friggin' holiday you can think of. You know, even if it's like yeah, a straight straight to VHS, yeah. straight to DVD kind of movie, somewhere mm. you know, you just name yeah. the holiday, Stamp Day or something. I don't know. And then there's a there's a fucking <laughs> horror movie. Yeah. Pretty- Soon it's going to be, they're going to have to, you know, since those have been exhausted, they're going to have to go to those, what do you call those days that aren't technically official days, but there's like a, you know, there's a day for everything. There's a oh yeah, I mean, VHS like, day. There's a, yeah. You know. Yeah. I mean, if you go, all you have to do is go on Facebook every day or any other social media, <laughs> but especially you see yeah. it on Facebook, you go on there every day and it's a, like you said, it's a day for something like today is a yeah. uh, baseball bobblehead day. Today is yeah. uh, super <laughs> Nintendo day to, you know, whatever, you know. <laughs> I'm just looking around the room and naming items, and this, that's the day. Today's Yahtzee Day. All right, anyway, so this movie stars, I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce her last name, Olivia, is it, uh, it's H-U-S-S-E-Y, so I want to say Olivia Hussey, is that how you say it? But maybe it's Husey, I'm not sure, but she plays Jess, um, which is basically yeah. you know, the, the main I always I always thought it was Olivia Hussey, but I could be wrong. I, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I guess been, either, you, know, you never know it. with these weird pronunciations sometimes, so yeah. we'll just go with Olivia Hussey. Uh, <laughs> uh, but she, she, uh, she had, I, I bet, I guess basically had some acclaim before this movie. She had been in, uh, the 1968, uh, version of Romeo and Juliet that apparently, you know, was, uh, real critically acclaimed and, you know, everyone loved. And, uh, she, but uh, other than that though, and this, she wasn't in a, I mean, she's been in a ton of stuff, TV shows, smaller films. Like she definitely feels more like an independent film type of person, you know, when you read down her list. Um, but she was in Psycho 4, The Beginning. And she was also in uh, <laughs> 1990's It. You know, the the Stephen King's It, the miniseries. Um, which, once I watched this, you know, like I, I remember seeing her. I definitely, w- once I saw what she had been in and I saw It, that I was like, oh yeah, yeah, there, 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 <laughs> there's my connection right there. It also stars Keir Dulia. I guess that's how you say his name. He plays... Uh, he plays Peter, which is uh, uh, Jess's boyfriend. He uh, is basically known for uh, this and uh, 2001, A Space Odyssey, because he was actually in that before this, obviously, since that came out in 1970, or I'm sorry, 1968, and, and a ton of other things. And, and I guess he's still going today. Like, uh, I think in his uh, filmography on IMDb, yeah, I mean, like, he's he's still playing and stuff he, all the way up to uh, to today. He's going to be in a something called Valley of the Gods. Recently, uh, last year, he was in Fahrenheit 451, which is something on HBO, I think. So, I mean, he still does things. So, he's still kicking around in uh, Hollywood today. It also stars Margot Kidder, who most people would, as Barb in this movie, most people would know her as Lois Lane in the uh, Mm -hmm. Christopher Reeves line of Superman movies, you know, from the early 
all through the 80s. I thought most people might remember from the turtle sex dialogue. <laughs> well, <laughs> true. I mean, there's the turtle sex. She's drunk talking about turtle sex. Then there's Lois Lane. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that should go without saying. My apologies. <laughs> um, Three days. <laughs> she actually passed away uh, just uh, back in 2018. She died in May, in May of 2018. Um, and I know she had uh, dealt with a number of issues throughout her life, like health mm. issues, and I think she had had some drug abuse or something like that, or alcohol, something something along those lines. I don't want to get too far into that side of things, but uh, I just know that she had had uh, somewhat of a tumultuous life, I think. But she had a very good, you know, very successful career um, in TV and film. Uh, you know, being here in Black Christmas, uh, like I said, the Superman movies, I mean, I'm sure she made a ton of dough off of those. Uh, 1979 is the Amityville Horror. I mean, the list goes on. I mean, like t- tons of movies that you would know, and, you, and I'm sure we've all enjoyed. So she's probably one of the, I guess, probably more recognizable faces from this movie, right? Mm. Um, yeah, hell, I just picked up Superman for the Quest for Peace from the Goodwill for like a buck. <laughs> no, that's neither here nor that's neither here nor there. I mean, <laughs> you paid a dollar for that. Why the fuck did you pay anything for that movie? Yes. <laughs> It was a can. It, I had, uh, there you go. I had to add it to my Canon yep, yep. films, uh, you know, filmography. So. If you're gonna own that one, that's pretty much the only reason. It's because it was done right. by Canon. You have to have it. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it also stars uh, John Saxon as Lieutenant Ken Fuller. Um, he's kind of like the the head detective, or uh, or well, he's the lieutenant. So I guess he's kind of like over the police department. So he's kind of the main point guy. Um, Helping yeah. them and out this is the, the point movie. I need to like John Saxon is just awesome. Like I don't, it doesn't matter what the movie is, he always makes it better. I think as far as his, you know, yeah. just the I mean, way he is. You know, the dragon. It looks like yeah, movie, I mean, it, it looks like he's What's still. That? It looks like he's still active today. Like he still plays and stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, tons <laughs> of stuff. I mean, huge cult yeah. horror movie, cult movie uh, guy. Like you said, you can go through the list. Smoke, go ahead. Just name some off the top of your oh, head. Yeah. Like, Oh, oh, I know Willie's favorite, Dario Argento. He was in an Argento movie, not Suspiria, but Inferno. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I'm sorry. Oh, no, it was it Tenebrae. Damn, well, and now I'm blanking on what he was in. <laughs> well, he, he was <laughs> he most... He was in an Argento film. <laughs> most notably, Tenebrae. I would say, a ni- the first Nightmare on Elm Street, right? I mean, like, that'd probably be the one. Yeah. And, and Enter the Dragon, too. talking about horror. Outside of horror, probably, what, Enter the Dragon. Yeah, yeah. Huge in, the ho- huge in the, just the whole movie world in, in general, and especially in the 70s and 80s. Uh, any genre, from low budget to big budget Hollywood movies, uh, he would pop up in. Oh, and yeah, but apparently, apparently he wasn't even supposed to be in this movie. Uh, they had actually hired uh, Edmund O'Brien, mm-hmm. who apparently was like an award Oscar award winning actor. Yeah, I think he's old uh, school. Yeah, yeah. Well, apparently, uh, like he shows up in Canada, you know, like for the film. When he gets off the plane, he's kind of talking out of his head. And I guess over the course of a couple of days, they realized that Alzheimer's is sitting in. So they had to fire him. And that's how Saxon got the job. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like I saw there was another uh, name that was supposed to be in this movie, too. Like, uh, oh, it was Gilda Radner. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, She was supposed to be in it. I can't. uh, It was the uh, Phil part, right? Um, That was, uh, which we'll get to here in a second. Yeah, Phil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That she was supposed to do it, and then apparently, I guess SNL uh, <laughs> interfered with that, or I guess the beginnings of SNL. Yeah, about a month that. before the uh, they started filming, uh, SNL came a calling. 
Yeah, because I think <laughs> SNL started in 75, if I'm not right, if I'm not mistaken. So this would have been after that, but probably around the same time frame. It's probably when they're getting ready for it, at the least. Uh, and that part eventually went to Andrea Martin, who also has, you know, quite a bit of success. I mean, mostly known as a, a comedian. Um, she's been in a ton of movies and TV shows over the year. A lot of a lot of people probably recognize her right out the gate from the. If you ever seen that other skit show from, I think it was from Canada, SCTV. Oh yeah, the one yeah. with John Candy. Was yeah, yeah, John Candy. Yeah, yeah. And, and Eugene Levy and some of that that crew of guys. Like she was part of that back in the eighties, uh, and, and a handful of other things. I think she was even in that movie Strange Brew, if I'm not mistaken. Oh yeah. Eh? Yeah. Okay. Which, but I guess so. Basically, like she's like the Canadian. Canadian Gilda Radner in a way, you know, <laughs> I guess. Um, if you can't get Gilda Radner, get the Canadian yeah, Gilda let's Radner. Get the, <laughs> which actually, no, and now that I look at that, she's not even from Canada, so fuck me. She's from, <laughs> she's from Portland, Portland, Maine. So, but that's pretty close to Canada, so splitting hairs here. Um, so, yeah, apparently, like, a Gilda Radner was supposed to have it, and then they uh, switched it to hers, so that was... And then, uh, I guess, the the really the only uh, other... Uh, main name would be uh, which we mentioned before, Mrs. Mack, the uh, the house mother, was played by Marion Waldman, who she died in 1985. So, what about give or take about ten, you know, ten or eleven years after this movie came out, she was mostly known for the movie Deran- uh, Deranged and Phobia and The Star Lost. So a lot of like uh, a lot of like 60s and 70s. Well, I guess yeah, mo- yeah. I know pretty much mostly in the 70s, and then Phobia came out in 1980. So maybe she and that had... Deranged movie, that's the one I was mentioning earlier that Bob Clark yeah. directed as well. Yeah, Deranged. Yeah, we definitely have to get around to on the show. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm assuming they're, they're, that's probably the Bob Clark connection right there, and it's probably why she got mm-hmm. it once they uh, couldn't get the other lady to do it. Um, and then, of course, there's Sergeant Nash, you know, the guy, the kind of the the guy that can't do right at the, the police station. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Felicio. Oh, yeah, the whole Felicio <laughs> thing. Um, That's a new prefix. F.E. He had quite a, I mean, he's still alive, but I don't, I'm not sure how much, if he does anything these days. Nah, not really. Um, but he's had, he had quite a bit of success, too. I mean, he was in Porky's. Remember, he was, uh, and now that I see that, I recognize yeah. the face. He was the coach. In Porky's. Yeah. Of the, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, he was in the old Clint Eastwood movie, Pale Rider. Um, John Carpenter's Ghost of Mars. I mean, he, he's been in a handful of things, you know, that you may recognize. See, I, I think it's a, a pretty good cast, though, of people that you would recognize from other things. I mean, uh, even the girl, once again, spoilers, that dies, like, pretty much the first girl that dies at the beginning of the movie, Claire, was played by Lynn Griffin. She was in a number of things, too, including uh, Curtains. Strange. That was the chick from Strange Brew. That's what I was thinking of, not Andrea Martin. Oh, she okay. was in Strange Brew, uh, that Rick Moranis uh, movie, um, and a number of other movies. So, yeah, I mean, there, there's definitely people you will recognize in this movie when you sit there. Oh, yes, that guy. It's a, it's basically a movie full of that guy or that girl, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a bunch of a bunch of character actors, for the most part, you know, kind of come together to form this movie. Was there anything else you guys wanted to add to it before we kind of dive in? Well, the, the one random thing is uh, every time you hear the, the voice on the phone call, Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently whoever's on the other end of the phone call, like doing the voice, they are doing the phone call upside down. And that is apparently, apparently to, uh, put pressure on the thorax to, you know, give that stressed out sound. (laughs) So you mean like they've put, they're putting like the headset receiver on their throat and then talking 
with the, no, no, I think, the mouthpiece I think, at the I ear? Think the person is upside down. Oh, what the? <laughs> oh, okay, <laughs> like well, that's... blood rushing to the head upside down. You're right, of... right, right, right. Well, that's weird. <laughs> I'm thinking like like you said, like the the, the earpiece on your throat, and then like the mouthpiece at your ear. You know, the old school phone. Yeah, no, no. Uh, the guy that did it, uh, I did the voice actually standing on my head to compress the thorax to give that kind of weird and spooky sound. They, the the guy the voice on the phone and I'm sure a lot of our listeners may may or may not get this uh get this but he kind of reminded me of I don't know if you guys have ever listened to the Howard Stern show there's a guy that always calls in called Sour Shoes who just talks weird like he this dude's like apparently there's something like mentally wrong with the guy like he's a little off in the head like something happened to him and he's a little nutty right but he calls oh, in all Stern the, show yeah well. <laughs> Uh, this guy like uh, talk. He calls in and he can do like he can, he can do every voice really good. Like he can sound like all the people on the show. He does good impressions, but he's weird. And it's like and his phone calls are always like he's playing a piano or something in the background as he's making these weird noises and stuff. You know, like it kind of reminded me of that, like the the erratic weirdness of it all. You know, <laughs> in the phone call. <laughs> For you, the listeners of the All American Spook Show podcast. Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. You know, on there, obviously, you can find just about, if not every, just about every Stephen King book, of course. You know, most of our listeners will be interested in that. Um, there's also, it looks like there's, like, some type of series called Hell Divers um, by Nicholas Sansbury Smith. And it looks like uh, some of, at least one of those, but maybe some of those are only available on Audible. Uh, there's one called Carmilla by Joseph Sheridan Lafanu. Um, that's only that's an Audible original. You can also listen to uh, a, uh, Imaginary Friend by Stephen Chbosky. Um, of course, uh, there are novels by R.L. Stein on there. You know, some some people might think of like isn't that the dude that wrote the Goosebumps stuff, right? R.L. Mm-hmm. Stein. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't. I'm not sure how recent this one is, but it's an Audible original called Camp Red Moon by R.L. Stein. And it's actually narrated by R.L. Stein and like a full cast of characters. Um, a book named Watchers by Dean Koontz. Um, another Audible original or a book that's only available on Audible, I guess, called The Hospital. Uh, it's a short story by the Keith, uh, by Keith C. Blackmore. Sorry. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you can find, you know, plenty of Stephen King, Dean Koontz, you know, R.L. Stein, some classics like, you know, there's a... Uh, there's a version of Dracula, you know, Bram Stoker's Dracula, narrated by Alan Cumming, Tim, uh, Tim Curry, and a handful of others. So that one would probably be pretty cool to listen wow. to. Um, you know, books like that, you can find all that there on uh, Audible. Uh, and, you know, with our uh, audibletrial.com slash spookshow, if you sign up for your uh, 30-day free trial using that, um, you pick one of these books, you know, to listen to, and you decide, hey, look, you know, after the 30 days, you don't want to keep it anymore. Or, you know, you don't want to pay for Audible. You don't want to keep the service. You get to keep that book for free that you get during our our little trial. So just keep that in mind. You know, if there's a if there's a new book out there by Stephen King or anyone else that you want to go check out, um, use our uh, audibletrial.com slash spookshow. Go get your free book, you know. And if you don't want to keep it, you know, or you don't want to keep the service, go ahead and cancel it. But you get to keep that book. So that's uh, at least that part's pretty cool of Audible. So to download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash spookshow. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash spookshow for your free audiobook. It's time to refresh. For your convenience, we have an attractive refreshment stand with a parade of items to tempt your taste. 
hot buttered popcorn, golden good and fresh from the popper, your favorite candies, wholesome and rich and full of flavor, ice cream and other good things to eat, plus ice cold Coca-Cola. So bright, so bracing, with a taste and tingle all its own. With that, you know, with that, all that stuff, the preamble out of the way, you know, the back and forth, or, you know, the background, I should say, of the movie, I guess we can go ahead and get into the blow-by-blow if you guys are ready. Yep. Let's do it. All right, so once again, this is 1974's Black Christmas, directed by Bob Clark. So we start with the uh, the title screen, Black Christmas, and you hear Silent Night playing in the background, you know, the music playing in the background, and you see the outside of a sorority house, which I, I'll, I'll say, by the way, the, the sorority house is really nicely, like, decorated on the outside. Like, m- maybe back in the day that would have been, you know, the thing, but I, I don't know how many, like, frat houses and sorority houses would really, like... Uh, decorate this nicely you know for the holidays you know just my opinion i don't know i haven't been i haven't been around a lot of these campuses but uh and myself i didn't go to a four-year university so maybe i'm way off base but like this thing is really nicely decorated yeah no yep i couldn't i wouldn't be able to to go there either as far as uh you know not doing the four-year college or anything so yeah yeah (laughs) but yeah it does look nice in this movie yeah maybe it's more common than i know (laughs) they may be more interested in partying and all that than yeah, exactly. But then again, you know, this was uh, 1974, so uh, maybe True. maybe it was more common for them to actually, you know, give a shit and uh, uh, decorate <laughs> and everything for Christmas. But anyways, uh, I digress. Uh, so, like, you see the outside of the house, you hear Silent Night playing, and then you see you you don't see a person, and that's kind of the thing here too in this movie. What do they call that? Is that the uh, seeing things in the first person? Right? Am I am I right in the yeah. phrasing there? Yeah, POV. Yeah, sort yeah of, like point of view, first POV. person. Where you just kind of, you know somebody's creeping around, but you don't see the person, so it's kind of like that. It's not, it's not like found footage shaky camera, but you know it's clearly like let's move the camera in the movement of a person walking around and creeping around mm-hmm. and stuff. Um, uh, almost to the point. I mean, really seriously, to the point of where the camera is the person's head in some scenes where you see the hands, you know, going down, stare down the ladder type thing or whatever, yeah. where your their head is basically the camera. They do a really, is, they do a really good job, great job of that in this movie. You know, true. of that part of things, um, the film, mm-hmm. the filming of the first person perspective and everything. Um, so you see that there's somebody creeping around outside the house, but you don't see who it is, and they climb up the. Well, you quickly assume that it's a man because of like the breathing and the noises, and you see his hands and stuff like that. So you, you quickly deduce that it's a, it's a guy outside at the least, right? Um, yeah. Uh, and then he climbs like this. There's like lattice on the side of the house where I guess you know they let the rose bushes or the vines or whatever grow up. So he kind of climbs up the lattice. Um, I tell you what, man. Back in the day, they 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 made really good lattice. <laughs> Strong <laughs> lattice. <laughs> I mean, it'll hold vines. It'll hold you know, two hundred pound. Yeah. Stalker killers. Walk, you know, and, any experience <laughs> I've ever had with lattice board in my life is this definitely not that strong. Yeah. <laughs> But I guess maybe if it was built like kind of as part of the house, maybe it's just stronger than you know your uh, cookie cutter Home Depot lattice board stuff. You know you'd find. Um, Breaking news: It's not. <laughs> movies are full of shit. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> Emphasis on breaking. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is where you're. Uh, after this, you know, you see this. Uh, you're introduced to Barb. You know, basically the main characters: Barb, which is you know was played by Margot Kidder. Jess and others. Then uh, the phone rings. Barb gets on the phone, and it's a, uh, a creeper. Or no, Barb is on the phone. I'm sorry. And uh, she's talking to her mom, I believe, on the phone. And you see, this is when you realize that that creeper that was climbing up the lattice is now 
in the attic. Then someone calls the house and they're making the noises or they're snorting and <laughs> making the noises and uh it says uh, uh uh lick my cunt or no lick me cunt something like that uh i thought the best part of this at least this first call though you know and, and all the girls of the house the sorority girls of the house are all just kind of standing around listening to it you know on the phone saying just vile shit you know and then at the very end the guy's like i'm going to kill you and then hangs up <laughs> <laughs> it's like he has this moment of clarity at the very end i'm going to kill you and but yeah this is obviously you know the kind of the uh kind of the uh the theme of the whole movie now is like you know this guy's going to keep calling like you, you'll see this a number of times throughout the movie but this is the first time so they kind of smack you right in the head with it with the with the shit he says like you know suck my dick you cunt you know just vile things especially um i believe for the times right i mean like I mean, it's, oh, yeah, it's, it's foul things for today, but especially 1974, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I believe I and saw, that was, and like it, you were mentioning, or like Will had mentioned that they were toning down some aspects of it. The script they must have, you know, maybe toned down a little bit of the violence, but toned up the uh, <laughs> the dialogue as yeah, far yeah. as uh, you know. <laughs> well, I mean, if it didn't earn its R rating from some of the, you know, the little bit of gore that you see throughout the movie, it definitely yeah, got definitely it in language. Um, and I, and I do believe, you know, just to add before we move on, I believe I saw somewhere that like, uh, uh, they, in some version of the movie, apparently they had to cut that, they had to cut the word cunt out. Like that was, oh. that was like the line, like, no, 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 we're not, we're not going to, uh, do this if that's in there, you know, kind of thing. So they had to cut it out and then they eventually put it back in or something, uh, in different versions or something like that. Well, it definitely couldn't have been the UK because I think that word is like the word D over there, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they drink like fish. Definitely not the UK it was cut out of, yeah. <laughs> so they, he says, I'm going to kill you, and then hangs up. Uh, and then Barb and Claire uh, clearly have, like, they kind of have this moment where, like, they just clearly don't get along. Like, Barb, you know, Barb just treats her like shit. And she's, clearly she's kind of like the young, the, the new the new blood in the house, so to speak, this girl Claire. They just really don't get along, and everybody's like, ah, give her a break, you know, kind of, and Claire goes on upstairs, and like, you know, fuck this, I'm leaving for the holiday or whatever. Um, this is when you're introduced to Mrs. Mack, kind of the, uh, she's the house mother, but she's also kind of like the comic relief, like we said earlier, of the of the movie. Um, this is where you uh, are introduced to her right after this, and then uh, Claire's up in her room, like, packing her bag, and she goes into the closet, and somebody grabs a hold of her. You don't see, of course, but somebody, like, as she goes in the closet, grabs a hold of her, and like, I guess some of her uh, clothes are wrapped in plastic or whatever, so it's kind of like grabbing her, but at the same time wrapping the plastic around her, kind of, um, mm, yeah. in her closet. Then you cut to Mrs. Mack. Like, uh, this is where you see, like, a, a couple scenes of her, like, hiding booze everywhere. Like, she opens <laughs> she opens up a book, and, like, she's cut out some, like, the center of the book, and there's a bottle of uh, hooch in there. <laughs> and then, like, she goes in to brush her teeth. And uh, she pulls out a, another bottle of uh, booze from the uh, back of the toilet tank, and then yeah. and then rinses her mouth with it, like yeah. as she's brushing her teeth. Yeah. Jesus, who needs? Nobody needs scope, you know. Just use yeah, yeah. good whiskey. That's all you need. Some good whiskey and toilet water. By the way, did you see the uh, the tank for that damn uh, toilet? What, like the inside of it? I, yeah, man, that thing looked nasty as fuck. I didn't really pay attention to it because I was just like kind of like laughing to myself about like how this this is dumb. She's hiding hooch everywhere, even though she's the grown adult, right? Like, yeah, yeah. That I was kind of focused on that. And didn't really pay attention to the tank. See, I was wondering if if she was just finding some of the other kids, you know, alcohol. 
and I'm just not, drinking it? <laughs> I don't think it, no, no, I, I don't think so. I mean, maybe, I guess, you know, but I, I'm thinking the way they played it to me was she's the one hiding it everywhere for whatever reason, you know, like <laughs> she's playing, she's trying to play it straight that, you know, that she's not uh, a drunk asshole, but, <laughs> but in reality, <laughs> she's the drunk asshole of the house. And <laughs> I don't know. I think there's two. Well, yeah, there's a, there's definitely one other, but, but you're coming up on that. You got like basically like you know with Barb on the phone, you kind of get the idea that like you know she has troubles with her mom or something like that. So maybe you know that's the reason she turns with the bottle or whatever. Anyways, so you know you're introduced to her and she's going through the uh, you know finding uh, things of alcohol everywhere, and then uh, you cut back to finally you cut back to Claire. And she's been, she's dead now. She's been suffocated by the plastic. I'm assuming like you know the plastic that was over the uh, the clothing in her closet. And she's sitting in a rocking chair. I don't know if you can necessarily peg exactly where at in the house she is yet, but she's dead in a rocking chair with the plastic still like over her head. You know where clearly she was snuffed out by the plastic. And then Claire's dad eventually shows up. I guess like the next day, and he's looking for her. Um, then they cut back to the house, and I guess like they've now at the sorority house, they've like brought in some kids, I guess, for Christmas. I, I don't know exactly what the reason for this was. I guess just a, a charitable kind of thing. I don't know. But they brought in some kids to the sorority house, and like they had some dude that was dressed like Santa, and he's just cussing up a storm. Like as the kid's in his lap, just just saying horrible <laughs> things. Like, ah, shit, fuck it. You know, whatever, you know, whatever else he's saying. As the kids. You know what it looking. reminded me of? It kind of reminded me of the scene in, uh, in his later movie that we were talking about, of course, the Christmas story, except without the actual you know cussing language yeah yeah the kids on the santa's lap in uh, that movie <laughs> the same bad attitude except like actually saying the words yeah yeah <laughs> so yeah they're just kind of talking like this guy you know dressed like santa's cussing and they're kind of talking amongst themselves like these kids aren't there but just saying just horrible things you shouldn't say in front of a kid so then the next scene is like the dad's looking uh claire's dad he's 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 come to the sorority house and he's looking for her and uh they kind of have this Mrs. Mack and him have this like back and forth where he's like, I'm not, well, she's like, well, I'm not sure where she's at. You know, she was supposed to be meeting you or whatever. And no one's seen her. And uh, meanwhile, he's just looking around the room and he's seeing like these, uh, you know, these uh, naked pictures on the wall and stuff like this, you know, that, you know, I guess you would find in a sorority house or a frat, obviously probably even worse than a frat, but in the sorority house. And she's kind of covering up for him, you know, and, Saying like uh, trying to divert the attention, like you know, don't look over here. You mean what? She's got her hand on the poster or whatever. You know, it's another one of those clowny moments. Then you cut to Jess, you know, who you've already been introduced to. He's basically the uh, the main girl of the movie. Uh, she's with her boyfriend Peter, and there are uh, she. He's like a, a piano. I guess he's uh, going for like his masters in music or whatever, and he's you know a, a pianist, and uh, he's got like a bigger recital today, and he, that he's practicing for, and. She basically comes in and uh, like, look, I'm pregnant and I'm going to have an abortion. So they have like this little back and forth about it. <laughs> of all the days, bring that up, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I know this is a big day and it's probably going to decide your future. I'm pregnant and I'm going to have an abortion. And there's no discussion. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, 1974, right? <laughs> uh, so then you cut back to the house, those... those the charity kids, orphan kids, I don't know, these kids are still at the sorority house. And Barb is just, uh, she's sitting there getting drunk on wine. And she's just straight up giving this one kid, like letting them drink. It was a girl or boy, I, I can't recall. Do you remember? Doesn't matter. But she's giving the kid, well, like, you know, drinks of her wine. And the Claire's dad's just sitting there looking at it like, hmm? You know? <laughs> Not really saying anything, but just kind of looking at it disapprovingly. 
<laughs> I don't know about this. Hmm. <laughs> Another thing in the ledger that makes me question this house. <laughs> so then they eventually uh, report Claire missing, and because uh, they go down to the police station and they eventually like you know look no one's seen her, so uh, you know she's missing. And then uh, Barb gives the uh, this is where you're I think you're introduced to uh, Sergeant Nash, the guy that works kind of behind the desk you know there at the police station who's kind of a I'm, I'm not gonna say he's a loser but he he's kind of a, a little bit of a fuck up you know, <laughs> and uh, she gives the number to the sorority house as Felicio two zero eight eight zero, and then he has her spell it out right yeah yeah uh, how do you spell, you spell that F E L L A T I O Felicio two zero eight eight zero. Ask for Colonel Angus. <laughs> and of course, he has no idea clearly what Felicio is. He, she just tells him it's like a new extension or something like that. And, which they did have weird phone numbers back in the day, you know, like Klondike two two two, you know. But uh, <laughs> pretty sure they never used Felicio. <laughs> which this comes obviously, you know, foreshadowing. I guess this comes back up a little bit later in the movie. Uh, then you cut to uh, Jess, who is telling, uh, who tells Chris uh, that Claire is missing. Now, C- Chris is uh, Claire's boyfriend. You know, I guess they've been seeing each other, and he's just like, uh, you know, did you tell it? You know, did you tell her? Tell anyone that she's missing? Yeah, we did, but they didn't really take it serious. So he's hot. So uh, then you cut back to uh, Peter having the piano. You know, uh, doing his pianist thing. He's having the piano recital. And he's clearly, you know, he's like sweating his uh, nuts off and having a hard time with it, you know, and the and the uh, professors or whatever are kind of looking at him, like, you know, just staring a hole at him. Um, he's struggling. So then you cut back to, uh, this is where you're introduced to John Saxon's character, Lieutenant Fuller. And uh, Chris and Jess have shown up and they come in to, uh, you know, report this and say, well, what the fuck, you know, why aren't you taking this serious? Claire's missing. And Chris clearly has some uh, relationship with him, right? Like, I don't know if they really fleshed that out or not, but like they're friends of some type. I didn't really get the connection. Yeah, I didn't really get the full connection there. You know, maybe I just kind of missed it. But there's some some type of connection there where he feels he feels he can come in and just give them the uh, you know the rundown you know so easily. Then you cut back to Barb, and this is (laughs) this is the turtle sex scene where (laughs) Barb's drunk (laughs) off her ass, and uh, I think it's just her and. Mrs. Mack and Claire's dad, yeah, yeah and uh, Claire's dad, and somebody, uh, somebody else, like maybe it's Phil. I think it's uh, the, the other girl in the house, Phil, Andrea Martin's <laughs> character, and she's just sitting there talking about how like uh, turtles. What well, I don't even remember the ins and outs of it. Like something about like turtles can have sex for three days or something. You don't right? remember the. You don't remember the what? <laughs> the, all the ins and outs of it. it was some, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> but now that turtles can have sex for they have sex for three days right Is that what yeah 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 <laughs> but it wasn't based on any research no it was just what she heard <laughs> she had to like check it out so to speak but what did she say not but she didn't stay there for the whole three days <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, and then and then basically kind of they're they're not laughing at it and she's just like oh you know Mrs. Max like huh, calm down Barb you've had a little bit too much to drink you know basically and Phil says something like you know you you're drunk go to bed and then basically she kind of lashes out at that point and she's like you're all blaming me for Claire being missing you know I guess she's she's feeling guilty because you know she talks shit to Claire and then Claire's gone you know so you know Claire I guess this is part of the motivation for her to get drunk you know I guess is feeling you know in the shits about 
the way she treated Claire, and now she's gone. So then uh, you cut to Peter, who clearly, you know, fucked up the piano recital. Now he's just, he takes like a mic stand and just beats the shit out of the piano. Like, just fucks it all up. Um, because it's the piano's fault. Yeah. The piano's fault. You <laughs> it suck. clearly is. <laughs> you failed me. My fingers were doing the right thing. <laughs> Poor piano. Um, so then, you know, right after that little brief scene of him like, just beating the shit out of a piano, you cut to Chris and Jess. They come back to the sorority house and they get Claire's dad and Phil, you know, to go out for the search party. Now, I, I wasn't quite sure was the search party for Claire or was it for the missing 13-year-old girl, which is kind of like a little subplot in the background going on that there's like this 13-year-old girl girl has gone missing as well. I wasn't... Yeah, I don't know if they... If they were clear on that, exactly. Yeah, like, who, it was for. who are they getting this for? I mean, because, like, I yeah. guess, you know, they came and got Claire's dad and Phil, and they went out, but it almost yeah. seemed like it yeah. was for the 13-year-old girl, the you know, the girl, and not for her. Too. Yeah, yeah, and then, I don't know, whatever. But clearly there's a search party because there's some shit going on here. And uh, then you cut back to the house, and uh, Mrs. Mack, back at the sorority house, is uh, looking for the cat, which I think the cat's name was Claude or some, some such nonsense. And uh, she eventually, uh, she she pokes her head up in the attic because I guess she hears the cat that's up there or something, or she thinks it is. Whoever this lunatic is, is like hiding behind her in the attic as she sees Claire's body like sitting in the uh, rocking chair. And then there's like this hook rope. I don't, what, I don't know what you'd call it. Like a, uh, what would that like be? A like, pulley? Yeah, like, I guess yeah, it's like, like a pulley with a, with a big hook thing on it right? yeah on a the rope big metal hook thing on it. he just swings it down and just i get i guess just like hooks it in the side of her head or something and ropes her up like because all you don't really see it happen he's behind her and throws it and then you see her feet just you know her whole yeah, body i guess cuts to her feet just getting sucked up into the <laughs> attic you know it's a really good toss yeah <laughs> no doubt <laughs> one shot man he, he managed to conk that thing in her head basically and then rope her up and string her up so then uh but then 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 in that scene they, they make sure to like like make sure you see that one of her shoes fell off oh yeah, yeah. and went downstairs mm-hmm. and that's how how i assumed that they were going to find her and the other girl yeah then then they never upstairs. never reference the shoe again yeah they never get back yeah. to it again. yeah <laughs> it was like yeah. what, what was the point of that shot <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'm wondering if that was something that was going to be in there that they didn't use <laughs> And then maybe, maybe. You know. because, yeah, I mean, because, well, we'll get to that, I guess, you know, eventually, but maybe it's because like it never leads to that. Right. So then right after this, the, the, the creeper guy, the lunatic, he just goes nuts in the attic and starts like, you know, as soon as he roped her up or whatever, you see her hanging there. And then he just starts, you know, throwing shit around and yelling <laughs> and, and knocking stuff over and just, you know, going nutty. <laughs> um. Then eventually it cuts back out to the search party outside, and they've they have found the thirteen year old girl in the search. Then uh, Jess, who's still back, who's still at the sorority house, um, she gets another uh, another freaky call again, and uh, Peter, her boyfriend, shows up, and she uh, calls the cops about the calls, you know, that have been coming in. Like, you know, this is too weird. We've had too many of these. I'm calling the cops in reference to this. Um, but basically right, pretty much right around the same time, Peter basically was like, all right, well, you know, you're going to marry me. You know, <laughs> it's kind of a horrible proposal, but basically like in this moment, like, yeah, you're not getting an abortion and you're going to marry me. And she's like, no, I got hopes and dreams and this ain't going to happen. You know, so she spurns him even, you know, even though you're a failure, I still have things to dream for. <laughs> That's basically what she says. Then, uh, uh, Lieutenant Fuller, uh, 
he says he's going to investigate. Oh, and then this is where uh, the fellatio thing comes in. Like <laughs> Lieutenant Fuller says he's going to investigate the whole thing, you know, and then he's looking at what's the sorority house number. And he looks at it and he's like, what the hell? And then the other detectives laughing about it. And he calls Nash out like fellatio for <laughs> real. Yeah. <laughs> it's something dirty, ain't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no shit. <laughs> um, so then, uh, then uh, Peter, who's just been spurned, his proposal. Now he he basically threatens her over the abortion. Like you know, you're gonna you're gonna rue the day. You know you're gonna regret uh, getting this abortion kind of thing. And but he he leaves. You know she tells him to leave. He leaves. Then uh, Lieutenant Fuller and another guy show up, and they arrive at the sorority house to investigate. And then they uh, tap the phone. Which this uh, I guess this is the old school way of tapping phones. Man, it seemed really convoluted, didn't it? Like, <laughs> yeah. God, you think it'd be easier than that? We're tracking the phone call of a killer. Well, we can only supply one man to try to figure out where the jerking line is going to. <laughs> and he's having to wear, run through like a warehouse of phone wires to figure this out. It's crazy. So, But they come in and they tap the phone and they're like, all right, you know, we got this phone set up. You got the phone here at the house. We got this phone set up at the police station. When that phone rings, we'll, it'll ring here. I'll be able to listen. And then uh, this dude can, uh, you know, find out where it's coming from. So they eventually leave, and then uh, Peter's outside. You see him outside. He's just hanging around the house. Um, then eventually uh, Phil, you know, the uh, one of the other girls from inside the house, uh, she's upset about the whole thing. She decides just to go to bed. Um, then you see, once again, up in the attic, the lunatic guy is sitting up there, and he's just rocking Claire's body back and forth. Like, <laughs> and she's got, like, a little baby doll. In her arms, like he's done put like a creepy ass old baby doll in her arms, you know, as he's rocking her. Turns out it's Annabelle. <laughs> you mean this is part of the Conjuring universe? It's all coming I together. I think that's why, that's why they're linking that new one, isn't it? Oh. <laughs> yeah, that and the guy that played the uh, uh, the, the preacher, not preacher, but the, the priest. <laughs> Yeah, he shows up at the. Yeah, <laughs> I heard you needed a priest. Except his current age, you know, the 2019 age, not what he would look like in 1974. Man, <laughs> this is some crazy retconning. <laughs> now you see Jess; she's waiting by the phone. Like, there's a couple scenes here now where, like, you know, they're just kind of sitting there, staring at the phone, waiting for it to, you know, to ring. Um, so Jess is sitting there, waiting by the phone, and then. Uh, Barb wakes up. She, this whole time, Barb's been up there, like passed out from her drunk, you know, from being drunk. Basically, she's passed out. She starts uh, like, ah, ah, and then like she runs up there, and it turns out she just needs her inhaler. Like she had a nightmare, and needs her inhaler. Uh, so then, like some uh, someone comes to the door, and so Jess goes downstairs to answer it, and it's some Christmas carolers, like a group of kids Christmas caroling. And uh, meanwhile, while she's standing there watching these carolers sing, of course the creeper walks into Barb's. Uh, room and stabs her with like she's got like these glass um, animal figurines kind of like up on her uh, her shelf there next to the bed and there's is it like a glass unicorn or something it's got this yeah, really yeah. long horn with a big giant sharp unicorn yeah, horn <laughs> yeah and, and of course he stabs her you know like multiple times with this thing and kills her but like that's one of the famous scenes from the movie right where the guy's kind of like holding it over his head and you see like you know yeah. the shadow like you can't see you're, you're seeing the guy's face, but you can't see who it is. You just see, like, maybe one eye or something like that, and, you know, in his hair. And mm. uh, the way they shot it, and, you know, it's lit behind him and everything. And he's holding the unicorn thing up and stabs her multiple times and kills her. Then immediately, like, Probably after... The, the most graphic part of that movie, I believe. 
graphic kill, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably. I mean, because all the rest kind of either happen off camera or, you know, or, or kind of insinuated, right? Yeah. So then pretty much right at this same moment, they're like, you know, they shoot the uh, the... Another lady comes up and says, all right, all right, uh, all the kids need to get in the car. They're, they found a 13-year-old kid dead down the street here, so let's let's wrap this up and uh, call it a night. Pretty much right at this same moment, uh, the phone rings again, and, the, you know, the lunatic is done called again. The guy's running around the, the, the phone warehouse trying to, you know, trace this and doesn't make it, of course. He didn't get the trace. Uh, then, like, as, as Lieutenant Fuller's listening to the call or talking to her about this or whatever, that they didn't get the trace, uh... There's, there's a few cops making some noise in the station. And then, and then one of the dudes, like all these cops, uh, other than like Lieutenant Fuller and maybe like another detective or something, they're all bumbling idiots. Like <laughs> this guy comes in and like some old, like I guess he was snooping around, not snooping around, but he's on some old man's land. The old guy uh, shot him in the ass with some buckshot. So <laughs> you see the cop come in, like he's got his pants pulled down and like, you know, he's done been shot in the ass with buckshot. Like, I don't know what this had to do with anything other than to show that, uh, this police department sucks, other than Lieutenant Fuller, right? But once again, like another little comedy moment, I guess. Then take Pete, the Fuller and the uh, Keystone Cops. Yeah. <laughs> so then, like, the phone rings at the, uh, at the house yet again, and this time it's Peter, you know, just his boyfriend. He's calling, and he's crying about, like, you know, not to get the abortion again. He's still upset about it. You know, don't get the abortion. So uh, uh, she has to explain to Lieutenant Fuller, you know, what this is about when she called. He says, what was that about, you know, when he calls back because he was listening to it. And he had, she has to tell him what was going on, you know, that I'm pregnant, I'm going to have an abortion, and uh, he's had a tough time with this or whatever, which is definitely something you should have led with and all this, right? <laughs> you know, yeah. if, if you got to leave it all on the table for the cops, you better tell them, like, yeah, well, my, my boyfriend is pretty upset that I'm about to, you know, abort his child, so uh, probably should have mentioned <laughs> Um, so then, uh, Phil's in the kitchen or something. And then all of a sudden, like some old dude pops into the window. Once again, a little comedy moment. It's a couple of the uh, old dudes from the search party, you know, just looking around and it scared the shit out of her. And they're kind of having a laugh about it. Eventually, like Phil and Jess go their separate ways in the house, but Phil goes upstairs to check on Barb. Remember from the, uh, in the inhaler incident. And then as she walks into the room, like the door slams shut. So you don't see anything happen, but clearly someone was in the room and shut the door. Then, then once again, the lunatic calls, uh, calls the house again and this time they have a trace and it's coming from inside the house (laughs) this is when they realize like oh shit you know like someone's in there then you see that this whole time there's been a cop like sitting in the car outside you know just kind of keeping a close eye on things this is when they kind of you know pan up the camera and you realize this dude's had his throat cut like Dude didn't come out there and slit his throat at some point. Then uh, the, the bumbling idiot, Sergeant Nash, you know, from the police department, he, uh, Lieutenant Fuller tells him, like, look, call her, tell her, you know, don't tell her exactly what's going on. Just tell her to uh, put the phone down and walk out the house. You know, like, don't don't uh, cause a big stink. Don't tell her what's going on. Just tell her to hang up the phone and walk out the front door. Um, so he calls and he does that, but then he just instantly freaks out. Look, you know, the, the calls are coming from inside the house. <laughs> he gives her like, maybe like one chance to like, what? I don't understand. Look, look, I'm just going to spill the whole beans. He's in there and he's going to kill you. <laughs> yeah, he, all, he, all he had to do was say, oh, you know, I need you to come out to the squad car out here. There's something for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Could have been much easier than, you know. You no, no, he just, he just spilled. Yeah, she's running through the dead body. <laughs> Well, regardless, oh, yeah. at least it would have got her out of the house, right? You know. Yeah. <laughs> instead, he, he instead he just shits the bed and tells her, like, "Look, the, the creep's in the house. You need to get the fuck out of there." You know. So that's when she's so like, which she in turn 
with that once again this <laughs> <laughs> this is where she freaks out because she realizes Barb and Phil are in the house. She starts screaming for them. And of course, instead of just at that point when they don't respond, leaving the house, nope, she goes over to the fireplace, picks up the fire poker, and then goes upstairs. And of course, <laughs> right on cue, she opens up Barb's bedroom and she finds uh, Barb and Phil both laying in the bed dead, you know, bludgeoned to death. Uh, and then, but right, right beside her, they're like, she's kind of like, she she has a moment of, oh, and then just she's kind of staring at them. And then right beside her, you see the, uh, like someone's eyeball. And uh, he says something, something like, uh, "It's me, Billy." And he, and he, do you remember me, Agnes? Something like that, right? He, he says he's Billy, and he calls her Agnes. Agnes, yeah. Yeah. So she <laughs> just pushes the door toward him, and like he starts screaming, Hah! and then you know she takes off running. Um, she runs downstairs. Of course, he gives chase, and then he grabs her by the hair and pulls her. She, she's able to uh, get free, and then she hides down in the basement, and. Uh, he starts beating the shit out of the door, but cannot get... This must be one of those enchanted door locks from Suspiria. <laughs> because it's just one of those... all little, it was the little latch, the little, little push latch thing. Yeah, right? one of those little like slide <laughs> latches you can get for $1.99 down at you know uh, Ace Hardware or something. You know? <laughs> but he cannot bust this door down. So eventually, like uh, he gives up and just walks away. And she kind of creeps around in the basement, you know, looking around. And, you know, this, this is a few-minute scene here. And then eventually her boyfriend Peter comes creeping around, and he's looking in the window. And eventually, like, he, he kind of, like, uh, wipes a window off and, you know, yells, uh, uh, Jess, are you in there or something? And then he just busts the window open and uh, comes on in the basement. And he's... Uh, He's walking around in there, and she won't answer him. He's like, Jess, Jess, are you in here? And then eventually, you know, I guess he sees her or something. He's like, why didn't you answer me? And then uh, that's when the cops, you know, have, you know, have finally arrived because, you know, they know that someone's in the house. And as soon as they pull up, you hear screaming. Um, they eventually make their way down to the basement, and you see Peter dead, and but he's laying in Jess's lap, and she's unconscious. Um, so later on in the evening, like she's laying unconscious, Jess is laying unconscious in the bed and the cops are all around her talking like, man, you know, she, she must've killed him after he came after, you know, j assuming that Peter was the one that did this the whole time. And they have found, uh, uh, Phil's body and, uh, Barb's body. Right. And of course they mm -hmm. have Peter, he's dead. So then like out of nowhere, Claire, Claire's dad, who's still hanging around, um, he just faints. <laughs> out of nowhere he seems like he's just perfectly fine they cut to something else come back and he just <laughs> slides out of the chair which i guess you know would be natural but it just kind of comes out of left field like the dude just slides out yeah. uh, I mean, it's not like they found his kid yet you know so no, he's just like all right well this this is this is horrible <laughs> well at first that's that was my reaction I was like well damn they must have found her because uh you know uh he fainted but then i'm like well he was acting pretty damn tame and calm right before that so you know i just thought the whole that whole little scene was weird but at any rate so they kind of like rush him out and then another cop comes in and cuts the lights off so they basically just leave her laying there like well she's knocked out anyways you know <laughs> i guess they assume it's all wrapped up you know i guess it's their assumption anyways since they assume that peter is the killer and you know blah, blah. there's 80 people in this room you know what screw it let's leave yeah let's all leave the house at once it's all it's all wrapped up thanks scoob it's over you know and they just they cut the lights out you know it's over the end <laughs> Everybody leaves and then rut row. Yeah. Um, then the camera like slowly pans down the hallway and eventually like, you know, 
tilts up to the attic, you know, the attic door, and then you hear a voice in the attic, like you hear noises and voice uh, in the attic and a voice, Agnes, it's me, Billy. And uh, uh, Claire and Mrs. Mack's bodies are still up there in the attic. They didn't see this. And then it kind of slowly zooms out from the attic window, you know, where you can... That's the other thing, too. Like, if they just looked up, they'd probably see yeah. Claire's body in the fucking window, right? Because there's a candle. There's a candle in the room, right? <laughs> candle right next window. to her, like, illuminating the body. So, like, you know, if they just looked up With to the, the attic window, the head yeah, right? yeah, you'd see this uh, body that's been in there for the last day or two. Um, and then it just kind of slowly zooms out and stops, and you see, like, there's a cop standing outside, you know, smoking a cigarette or whatever. I guess he's keeping a watch on the scene or whatever. The, the one guy that stayed al- stayed around. And uh, then you hear the phone start to ring inside the house. And I thought this was pretty cool because that's the end credits, right? Like credits mm-hmm. roll. Yeah. And throughout the entire credits, the, the phone ring, uh, the ringing gets louder and louder all the way to the bitter end till it's like, you know, really loud. And then that's it. It cuts out. So you never figure out, you know, this guy's name is Billy. You never really see. I mean, you see him, but you don't. Right. You don't know who it was, what the connection was, something to do with no. Billy and Agnes. Uh <laughs> That's really all you know. So, like, this is one of the few movies that you'll watch where, like, there's no real resolution to this whatsoever. It just kind of, that. well, we're done with this chapter. Maybe one of these days we'll pick it back up. Nope, we'll never pick it back up. That was it. <laughs> we'll just remake it three times. Or two, two more times. Um, so, what do you what do you guys think? Will, I guess we'll go to you first. What do you think about it? I thought the movie was okay. Uh, you know, obviously, like, going into this, you know, I didn't know the history of it. So, uh, you know, I, I think it kind of, I guess, kind of falls in some of the past movies that we've done where uh, a lot of these things that are, are the, like the first time it's ever happened. I've seen it, you know, multiple times now uh, from other movies. So it's not the first time I've seen it. So it's not something original to me. I, I did enjoy it. It does serve its purpose of, you know, kind of making you feel uncomfortable uh, as you watch it. So. I think, you know, overall it, it was a decent movie, but because I've seen this stuff before, you know, it didn't, it didn't, so, you know, I guess it didn't put me on edge, I guess the way it's supposed to, mm-hmm. uh, I guess if I was going to go ahead and give it a rating, uh, I'd probably say two and three quarters. Okay. Fair. Smoke. Uh, get this, uh, it's it kind of like I'm coming in, I guess I'm coming in from the opposite end of like, well, it was, I, I didn't see it when it first came out, but I saw it kind of fairly early on in my you know, before watching days or whatever. Uh, so a lot of it, I guess, was kind of fresh to me and new at the time. And I can kind of put it in perspective from that. And I, I mean, I think it builds a little bit of tension fairly well. And the characters are interesting. Uh, uh, the concept of, you know, the slasher, this being one of the first ones, uh, along with the, uh, I can go back as far as Psycho, maybe even for another prototype slasher movie. And, then another one from the seventies called Peeping Tom. All these kind of melded that, uh, or at least cemented the style of slasher with like the POV shots and all that stuff. So, and uh, it was new to me when I saw those types of things. So, and I can, I guess, put it, watch it as I was seeing it for the first time back then. Uh, so yeah, over the years, of course, it's been done and done to death now. Some of those tropes, but. Uh, I think I'm going to go as far as my star rating for it. I go with a three and a half on it. I still enjoy it, and it's probably been about the fifth or sixth time I've seen it now, at least. I still think it holds up 
fairly well. So sort of a personal, uh, another personal holiday favorite for me, I guess. Uh, for me, I mean, this is probably one of the better horror movies that you'll find as far as you know Christmas horror movies. This is definitely a, a top five, I think. You know, in my opinion, mm-hmm. um, I'm going to give it a solid three stars. If for if for no other reason than you know it's historical standing, I mean it may it may not be the best movie ever made, and it's certainly not gory or anything like that. Um, but mm. I think it is very unique in the, in the fact that it ends like, you know, kind of, uh, not kind of, I mean, it ends in a, in a sad, dire note with no real resolution, right? You're just kind of like, well, that was the story. It ain't over, but, you know, <laughs> you ain't got to go home, and but I you think, can't I stay here. it kind of makes it original that way, too, a little bit, you know. Absolutely, It did yeah. kind of break, I mean, well, not that it broke the mold, it was kind of forming the mold. <laughs> yeah. I guess of the slasher movies and all that stuff, but I mean, I mean, there's been some stuff that come out before or around that same time. I mean, hell, Texas Chainsaw Massacre came out the same year. Uh, you had Last House on the Left that came out in '72. You know, these types of, and I think this movie kind of fits into that too. It's, it's an important movie of the '70s, just like those ones I mentioned. And Hills Have Eyes. You know, I think it, it definitely has its place in the in that pantheon of horror movies in the '70s. But, but yeah, I like that it had that. It didn't give away who the killer was necessarily. It kind of left it open and that whole ending scene was pretty creepy for that i think here's one little uh entry i found from uh, uh this is on wikipedia which i'm, I'm sure it's sourced from some other place but uh, th- this kind of goes to what you know uh to the ending here uh during preparation in 1975 for the film's american release warner brothers studio executives asked bob clark to change the conclusion or the concluding scene to show claire's boyfriend chris remember the the hockey player guy yeah. Um, oh, yeah. They wanted him to appear in front of Jess and say, Agnes, don't tell them what we did before killing her. However, Bob <laughs> Clark insisted on keeping the ending ambiguous. So that's that's a weird little. Uh, they clearly like the studio executives like are like, shit, we need to end this. You know, this it, can't end like this. You know, let's come up with something. But th- that would make no sense. They, either, tell right? that they that they should have shown up there with that hockey mask he was wearing. Yeah, <laughs> you know the uh, the goalie mask he was wearing. <laughs> so they mi- they missed out on a foreshadowing of Friday the Thirteenth. They missed out on a billion dollar idea. They had it right there and just <laughs> and didn't didn't go through. Um, so yeah, I mean it, you know, for uh, in my opinion, for no other reason than you know it's historical context and everything. I'm going to give it a solid three from me. You know, I think we all recommend it. It's a it's a it's definitely one of those top five, top ten uh, horror, you know, Christmas movies, you know, for a lot of people, I'm sure. And we'll eventually get to the 2006 remake here on the podcast, and uh, and and of course the uh, current uh, one in theaters here in 2019. You know, we'll get around to that one too. So, you know, just to see how they change things and uh, compare it, you know, and have a little fun with that. So we'll get we'll get around to it, you know, maybe next holiday season. And I know none of us have seen any of those other sequels yet. I mean, those other sequels, I mean, those uh, remakes yet, but. Yeah, no. I think there's something in there about, and maybe we'll find out a little bit more about the Billy Agnes connection or something, because I've read somewhere that there's a little bit more to that mm-hmm. idea that Bob Clark had originally that he didn't put in the movie, but that he had an idea about what who Billy was and Agnes and all that, and that I guess he gave maybe that idea and that information to the creators of the remake, and they kind of put a little bit well, of that know, in there. So. To me in this, they set it up, they, they set it up purposefully to make it look like... Uh, Jess's boyfriend Peter was the one, you know. Obviously, the whole time they make it look yeah. pretty obvious. Like, yeah, yeah this yeah. dude's done come on. Yeah, <laughs> like he, he's come unhinged and he's the one doing this. 
then once you reach a point where like no it's they're they're forcing it down your throat it's too obvious it can't be him mm-hmm. but who the <laughs> hell could it be right you know as you're thinking like if it ain't that guy yeah. then who is it because they're not leading you anywhere else so there's clearly <laughs> and more I, mean, to, I guess you can Oh, sorry, go ahead. Jeff. I, I'm just mean that, you know, to, to to conclude the point is that there's clearly more to that story, right? The Billy Agnes thing. So, and, and when I heard the Billy yeah. Agnes thing, I'm thinking like, well, maybe this is just some weirdo motherfucker that like something happened 20 years ago and he lives in their attic, you know? But <laughs> then you're like, well, then that doesn't make sense either because, you know, at the beginning of the movie, you saw him climbing the lattice, right? And yeah. if he is some nut that something happened 10, 15, 20 years ago and he's been living in their attic, wouldn't he have killed other people? Other people before now. Yeah, in, instead of <laughs> just tonight is the night to do it. So, I mean, it's weird, you know? <laughs> like, they, they give yeah. you no indication whatsoever as to what the hell is going on here, really. <laughs> and I'm wondering if some of that was in that other script, like, uh, like Will, had, that you had read about before they changed it. Uh, like before they changed the story. Yeah. I wonder if it, you know, might have uh, dis- you know, discussed more of that. Yeah. Well, uh, the one thing that I did, uh, read, let's see, according to Clark, when he, you know, developed the very strong backstory for Billy, uh, Billy is abusive and abused his little sister and was abused himself and probably killed his parents and probably locked up her in the basement for five or six years, Clark said. And I think she escaped and Billy doesn't like girls and it turns out Agnes doesn't like boys. Oh, okay, so that was, that was like part of the backstory, I guess that he that they that he created for it, but didn't use necessarily in the movie. Yeah. Then apparently, they, a version of this was the backstory uh, in the 2006 remake. Which, once again, we'll get to one of these days. Yeah. You know, oh, make, yeah. we'll make it a point to try to do that next holiday season. You know, since we probably and that might actually it. make it a little bit more interesting to me now to watching it. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm I'm not. Yeah, just to see if they flesh that out anymore. Remakes, you know. I guarantee for a modern a modern cinema audience, they probably had to flesh that out a little bit more because otherwise, you know, so oh, yeah. people would be leaving yeah. so mad that, you know, they'd shit on the movie and nobody would go see it. So I'm <laughs> yeah. sure they had to conclude it in some way, right? Um, True, yeah. I mean, I can see where that guy was coming from when, the you know, the American distributor that was kind of wanting them, hey, you know, throw me a bone here and they need to, you know, make somebody be the killer. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, you leave, you leave people on for a while like that. I mean, it's, I think it's kind of innovative and fresh, but I mean, if I were... If I were an adult film-going person in 1974 when I went to saw the average, you know, horror fan or whatever, it might come across as disappointing that you don't find out that who the killer is, and you know, it's leading up to all these different red herrings to where, okay, it's this guy. No, no, it can't be him. And who is it? Yeah, and then you don't get any kind of fulfillment for that. So I'm sure it was weird, especially for the time, because like you know, it's not like it is today where there's all these streaming services and DVDs and Blu-rays and yeah. Uh, uh, oh, yeah. uh, movie subscription uh, channels like HBO and stuff like they didn't have nothing like that. You had like Mm-mm. what three channels, maybe three or four channels on your on your dial, and the only escape yeah. you got was going to the local drive-in or the movie theater to go see a film. You know, there was yep. no, there was really no widespread home video type of thing or anything like that mm-hmm. at that point. So yeah, I mean yeah, everything like, was definitely can you geared ma- towards either TV or movies. You know, <laughs> you I mean that was the whole to- reason why movies were widescreen. I mean, now, we, you know, we're so used to widescreen because, I mean, TVs are widescreen, everything is. But back then, it was like, that was one of the drawing points was get people in there. So, you know, we have a wider picture. Yeah. There's surround yeah. sound and all this stuff. 
Can you, so can you imagine going to seeing this in Christmas of 74 and being like, what the <laughs> fuck? You know, like, what What did I just watch? There was no resolution. I just wasted an hour and a half of my life, you know, <laughs> which is why I probably only made uh, $4 million and probably didn't play very long. But, <laughs> but you know, yeah, I mean, I think it's very innovative and for us, you know, for no other reason than its historical little uh, pinpoint, you know, then we'll leave it there. But I, I enjoyed it and I, and I think we all recommend, you know, checking it out, especially around the holidays. You know, it's kind of on the, on the old horror holiday playlist. So we all recommend going to check it out. So next episode, we are going to uh, come all the way back to current day. And we're going to watch a movie that came out just this year, 2019 Brightburn, which was uh, directed by David Yaravesky. And of course it's uh, uh, the writer was Brian Gunn and Mark Gunn, but uh, this had something to do with some, I'm blanking here. Help me out. Um, as far as the director, James Gunn, James Gunn, you know, the same guy yeah. that directed guardians of the galaxy and all that. This is, yeah. this is from that from his brain, I guess, so to speak, or from their world. Um, so it, it's definitely a different uh, take on, like, the superhero genre. I'll read you the IMDb synopsis. It's, what if a child from another world crash-landed on Earth, but instead of becoming a hero to mankind, he proved to be something far more sinister? They list it as a drama, uh, a drama horror, mystery, and sci-fi. So it's it's kind of all across the board here. And it's, uh, um, I haven't seen it personally, but uh, I think both you guys have seen it, right? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we'll, yeah. we'll dive into that on the next episode. So th this could be, uh, it, it looked really good and I wanted to see it. I just haven't, for whatever reason, it got put on the back burner for me and I just haven't watched it yet. So, but I've heard good things. So we'll, we'll, uh, we'll watch that. Uh, go ahead and watch ahead. Um, I'm not sure where it's available. Uh, I'm sure you can, I, I know it's available like on uh, video on demand and uh, Blu-ray and DVD. That's your local red box. Yeah. Red box, something <laughs> like that. I'm sure you can get your hands on it. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a brand, you know, or not brand new, but it's a newer movie, so it shouldn't be too hard to track it down. Um, At your local Hollywood, yeah, there just no, may no. there just may not be too many uh, free options for this one, like there has been on some of the other movies we've watched we've watched lately. So you might have to do a little bit more hunting, or you know, actually spend some money to uh, check it out. But uh, we recommend you go ahead and watching it beforehand before you listen to the podcast. Make sure you request it from your local blockbuster. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> that one that's still alive, like in uh, uh, Alaska or uh, Oregon or something. <laughs> there was one when I was living in Texas. There was one that was, uh, I guess, was privately owned. So yeah. whenever the whole franchise I, went down, they still stayed open as a blockbuster. Yeah, for a while. I think, I think, I think there were a handful of them, like in, you know, the upper northwest of the U.S. and uh, Alaska um, hmm. But I think most, if not all of those, have finally shut down. There might be one or two still floating yeah. around, like you said, some independently owned thing that still have the brand. But I yeah. think most I of know those that one's not anymore, unfortunately. <laughs> but anyway, uh, you know, I, uh, all that aside, so yeah, however you got to check it out, make sure you check it out and uh, <laughs> listen to the next podcast. All right, guys. Well, uh, thanks for listening again, and uh, we hope you all have a, a you know happy holiday season, Merry Christmas, you know, Happy Hanukkah, Happy New Year, all that, and. Uh, I'm not sure if uh, we'll get another episode in, you know, before 2019 is out. So if we don't, then, uh, you know, it's been a great year and another good year of the podcast. Uh, we celebrated our one year anniversary back, you know, around Halloween. So still going strong and uh, hopefully uh, 2020 will be even bigger. And uh, if we don't see you here by the end of the year, we'll definitely see you in, uh, you know, January of 2020. So um, for Will and for Smoke, I'm Josh. We are the All-American Spook Show Podcast, and uh, happy holidays. Peace. Later. And now, folks, it's time to say goodnight. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. 
please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night.